Well, if you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn to 2 Peter. We are still in our series. Hopefully my mouth will get caught up to my brain. Um, called Growing Grace. And, you know, we've we begun about two weeks ago. We started this series. And I'll tell you, Second Peter is a short book, but it is packed. It is very deep and weighty. And, you know, it just takes a, a little bit to get through it. But um, we're going to do that nonetheless. So um, we're going to be in chapter two today. And, um, you know, if if you uh, were here with us the previous two weeks as we were going through chapter one, um, a lot of things uh, were kind of being unfolded for us. We were, we were hearing about uh, scripture and about the word of God and the importance of us being in, <clears throat> excuse me, in the word of God. And, you know, that's, um, it's something that I think if we're not careful, it can just, it, it can seem like, you know, it's not really doing a lot. I don't really need to be in my Bible, in, my, in the scripture um, as much as I should be. But the reality is, and if you were here and, and you know uh, the, the statistics that I shared, and it was pretty staggering as we talked about um, kind of the Bible illiteracy in America. At, and, you know, the, the survey we looked at, it was talking about um, the people that read the Bible regularly. <laughs> and by definition, in that survey, uh, it was, you know, people that pick up their Bible three to four times a year were reading their Bible regularly. And I don't know about you, but that is, um, that's something that's very uh, concerning. And I think in the church especially, you know, that's, that's amongst people that would identify themselves as Christians, that say that they're Christians. And I don't know how, you know, you could do that, um, you know, just being in the Word only a few times a year. So we need to be in the Word of God, and we also established uh, that during that time as well, just the authority of Scripture, that it was very important that it was that it's true, that it's believable, and that it's, it's the place that we can go to um, for, for guidance, for to keep us kind of where we need to be. Because if we just look at culture, you know, we can kind of end up all over the place, and you see that happening. But last week, we also talked about two things, personal experience and biblical substantiation, meaning, uh, again, what we see and experience is real, right? What we see and experience, like what Jeff and Jody just, <clears throat> sorry, just shared, is real. That is a real experience, and so, you know, we experience things here in life that are real, and so we take that in, but also with that has to be coupled, and they must be validated with Scripture. So when we see things of God, if you will, or things that people say are of God, do those things line up with Scripture? That always has to be our balance. And, you know, we shared this last week from Matthew 24, and I'll share it again, Matthew 24, verses 24 through 26. It says, for false Christ, little c, um, and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe. And again, what this is saying is there are false teachers that are, are there, that are present. They're present today. There are people that look like, you know, when you hear that expression, you know, she, uh, wolves in sheep's clothing. That is happening and it is rampant today. And so there are these false teachers today that are dealing these enticing words to the ears, if you will, of immature believers as a result. And as a result, the body of Christ begins to, to splinter, okay? There is, that, it's happening, and I, I deal with people sometimes, or sometimes people will come to me and, you know, have you heard of this person and this person? It seems like they're just looking for the next thing, the next, you know, great thing that, that nobody else has figured out. And, you know, some of these places that they're going to you know, I, I either am familiar with already or I go to, and it, there's just so many red flags that go up, but uh, this person can't necessarily see that. You see, what happens is it's, it's a slow process. It's an erosion of the truth. It, it's not like something that's gonna slap you in the face. It's gonna seem fine. It's gonna seem okay. But then as you get in, it's just this slow kind of getting off track. And what happens is, is in, in Christianity, you know, it begins to lose what makes Christianity or being a Christian distinctive. It's, you know, the, our distinctive uh, nature or whatever, this what distinction is faith in the unique person and work of Jesus Christ, right? That's where our hope is. That's where our faith is, and it, where it's where it has to be. It's, it's that simple. It's faith in Jesus Christ. You know, I, um, one of the things that I've dealt with in the past, and, you know, maybe you've dealt with this too, um, but, you know, we take, uh, say, the Mormon church, right? 
the Mormon church, <clears throat> there's church in the name, isn't it? <laughs> isn't there? Anybody ever had a Mormon come to your home? Okay. So that's, you know, there's something that you know, they come through and they'll share things and they, it sounds close and they know actually a lot of scripture. Anybody ever heard of the Jehovah's Witnesses? J-dubs, I call them affectionately. Um, but they've come through before too. And the interesting thing, again, is they have their own translation of the, what do they call it? It's not a trick question. The, the world trip, but what is it? What is it? It's a Bible, this is what they say, right? It's the Bible. And, you know, when I talk about these kind of like this one degree, just one degree off, and if you understand land navigation or if you're going something, one degree starts out not a big deal. But if you keep that one degree off, you're going to end up in a very different place than where you originally intended. And, you know, with the, the Jehovah's Witnesses, you know, the, one of the examples I always share is in John chapter 1, right? In our scripture, in, in the Bible, it's, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, in their translation, it says in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was a God. One letter, literally, A. <laughs> and it's a very different translation, isn't it? And so, you know, some of you are looking at me. I can't always tell, like, what you're feeling or thinking right now, which is probably good. Otherwise, you know. But, Pastor Dell, why are you picking on Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons? You know, what's, what's the deal? The deal is this, is that if, if we don't come back to what and cut through to what truth is, and if we don't call a spade a spade, so to speak, if we don't start to call things and understand things for what they are, it can get very hazy and, you know, black and white becomes gray and it just kind of like, okay, well, what's the big deal? And listen, church, it is becoming more and more you know, I don't know if I want to go as far as to say it's, it's different than what was happening when, when our, the scripture was written or where, we, where we're at today. It's probably the same in its own right. But I think, with, I think I will say it's more in the sense because we have access to so much now. Anybody with a smartphone and an internet, you know, an internet signal or whatever can get on and they can record themselves, they can make it look fancy, they can say slick words, and you go through, oh, look, it's got five million views. It must be true, right? Just keep looking at me. Your silence is deafening. <laughs> it must be true, because it, and it's a slippery slope. So, again, we have to be more than ever, now more than ever, we have to be dialed in and know the Word of God for ourselves, know what it says, and come back to the Word of God often. So let's get into Second Peter in, in chapter 2, and we're going to begin in verse 1 today. 2 Peter 2 and, and verse 1 through 3. And I would encourage you if, you, if you haven't been here the last few weeks or haven't seen or, or listened to the sermons, to go back on our, our website and listen to those uh, because I give a lot of back kind of the, the setting for 2 Peter. I'm not going to do a lot of that today because I want to get into what we need to get to, but I would encourage you to do that. So beginning in verse 1, it says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false prophets among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, or who bought them, sorry, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not, not asleep. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you today, God, and I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that it is, it is that which gives life. God, I would pray you would speak to our hearts that you would cut, Lord, to the core of who we are. God, we thank you that we have access to your word, something that is solid, that is sure, that is true, that we can stand on. And so, God, we just ask that you would truly speak to us today through it. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So, you know, there's a word here that's used called heresy, and heresy is defined by the New Oxford American Dictionary as simply a belief or opinion contrary to orthodox religious, especially Christian doctrine, okay? So heresy is, is, again, something that is contrary to what we would hold true and what's been held true to orthodox Christianity throughout uh, the centuries. Now, here I want to just share with you, and again, you know, sometimes preparing for these messages, I don't like it in the sense of I go and I... 
I research and I, I look at things, and it's, um, we always have hope, let me just say that. <laughs> but it is staggering at some of the percentages and the things that come through in some of these, these um, and I'm going to share them with you so you can enjoy it with me. But uh, one thing I want to begin as we start, though, is I'm going to share top, the top five heresies among American evangelicals, according to Christianity Today, a survey that was done. But let me define evangelical because we say that a lot, and I think some of us know, but maybe some of us don't. But evangelical, there's simply that people that would hold to these four truths, if you will. One, that the Bible is the highest authority for what we believe, okay? And again, I know it's easy to say with our lips, <laughs> but it's another thing to live it with our lives and through our actions. But it has to be that the Bible is our authority, not culture, not what we were told by our friend or family member, the Bible is the authority. Number two, it is very important to personally encourage non-Christians to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. Again, as Jody shared this morning, you know, the looking for those opportunities to share uh, why we have hope, what the good news is, that and to introduce somebody to who Jesus Christ is. Number three, Jesus Christ's death on the cross is the only sacrifice that could remove the penalty of sin. We could not do that on our own. It's not about how good we are, how good we think that we are, how many good things we do. It's not a scale that has to try to balance itself. It is only through Jesus Christ's death on the cross that we are saved. That's it. <laughs> now, should good things follow? Yes, of course, but that should be fruit from that salvation, okay? And, and lastly, the fourth one, only those who trust in Jesus Christ alone as their Savior receive God's free gift of eternal salvation. Okay, so when we place our trust in Christ, it is a gift. It's not something bought or earned on our own. It's something that is given from God, okay? So those are the things that identify us as evangelicals. Now, these top five heresies. Number one, Jesus isn't the only way to God, okay? Jesus isn't the only way to God. Listen, <laughs> Amongst evangelicals that adhere to the things I just said or are supposed to, 56%, more than half of evangelicals who responded, affirmed that God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, and it's up from 42% in 2020. Now, I don't know if that strikes you or if you're listening really close, but that... Remember, let me read again, okay? Jesus Christ's death on the cross is the only sacrifice that can remove the penalties of sin. Only those who trust in Jesus Christ alone as their Savior receive God's free gift of eternal salvation. Those are the essentials to be called to be an evangelical or, you know, kind of beliefs. Yet over 56% or 56 over 50% say that, you know, there's multiple ways. When the scripture says, and Jesus is talking, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Now, I don't know, you know if you've studied the Greek or Hebrew, but do you know what that translates as? I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father <laughs> except by me. That's how it translates. Now, do you believe that? Do you believe it? Yes. And that's something, you know, you have to look in the mirror. And, and again, this is going to be a, a message today, a, a tough one, because it, it, it goes against what we are being led to believe and how we're being even shaped and formed and how our kids are being formed in our society and culture. Because today we live in a day and time when you can simply, if you say anything against something else, if you stand up and say, well, this pen that I just wrote with and it's blue is blue, this is a blue pen, and somebody says, no, that's a red pen. If you hold true and fast so that, hey, this is blue, it's always been blue, it's blue because on the color spectrum, it hits this mark and meets these parameters, so it's blue. <laughs> well, I don't see it that way, I see it as being red. And we're, we're living in a day and time where that has to be accepted, that has to be okay. Right? Are you with me? Yes. And so, again, you know, understanding this, that, you know, well, can you, can you really stand there and say that Jesus is the only way? <laughs> well, it, if I'm a Christian, and I believe Scripture, because then if we kind of close and squint our eyes on one part of the Scripture, then, then what's, why do we even adhere to any of it? 
You can't pick and choose. And so understand, I mean, this is just the first one, all right, that Jesus is the only way. Another one that Jesus was created by God. That's a, that's a heresy, just so you know. Jesus was created by God. Jesus is God, right? <laughs> 73% agreed with the statement that Jesus is or was created by God of evangelicals, 73%. Here's another one, Jesus is not God. Anybody led a conversation with that one? Jesus is not God. Given the above beliefs on Jesus as a created being, it's not too surprising that 43% affirmed that Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. Evangelicals, who would say that they, they say they're evangelicals. Next one, the Holy Spirit is not a personal being. Speaking of the Trinity, 60% of the evangelical survey respondents had some confusion about its third member, believing that the Holy Spirit is a force but is not a personal being. And here's, well, they're all interesting. This last one, humans are not sinful by nature. <laughs> There's a lot of things I wanna say, but I'm gonna stay <laughs> on script here. I'll just say this. <laughs> I have a one-year-old, and I have not taught him anything to, to say no or to be bad or to do the wrong thing. But it is astounding to me how quickly, <laughs> like I, I've, I've said it before, this is my therapy session for the next 10 seconds, you know, you say no, and once they start to pick up on what no is, not to do something, but they want to do it, you say, no, don't touch that. No, thank you. We say thank you. We say no thank you in our house. No thank you. And he looks at you, and I swear, it's just bink. Right? Did I, did you have to, do you have to teach your kids to do that? No. It's because there's, there, we, are, we are made, we are descendants of Adam and Eve. We are, there's sin in us. <laughs> it's our nature to sin, right? I think for most of us here, hopefully all of us, when we come to Christ, you know, it's still a challenge in some areas, isn't it? How many of you, God's still working on you, right? God's still working on me, right? You hear that song? To make me what I ought to be. I'm not gonna sing the rest, but... But he's still working on us, isn't he? Why? Because it's that sin nature. Is still, it's an ongoing process, and I hate to burst any bubbles. We're going to be doing it from here till eternity, all right? God's still working on us. Praise the Lord for patience and grace. But humans aren't sinful by nature. 57% agreed with that. Everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. Offer somebody a million dollars to do something crazy, and you'll, you'll get an answer real quick and what they define as sin and what they don't, right? <laughs> All right, so we're off to a good start. So here in 2 Peter, again, you know, we have this, you know, I, I shared these statistics because I'm trying to, to wake us up that this isn't something, again, it was written long ago, but it is more than ever applicable today, right? Because the slope is getting more and more slippery. I, I'm sorry, but like with these percentages being so high in a group this large, there's at least one person in here that might adhere, and maybe some of you, the way you were looking at me, think this way, and I don't want you to feel like you're you know, being picked on or anything else, but I'd love you enough to share with you the truth. Just like I love you enough that if you were carrying a loaded weapon around and pointing it at yourself to say, hey, that's a loaded weapon and it can hurt you. You may think you have control of it, but you don't, and you don't understand it, otherwise you wouldn't be pointing it at yourself and playing with it like it's a toy, right? And so we want to share the truth. And even if it's hard, we are going to always, I will always preach the truth. And so here in 2 Peter, we see that Peter's already established in the previous chapter that the scriptures are the word of God. It is bottom line, and it's here. It's over across the ocean on the other side of the world. I preached, you know what's amazing? Is I preached the same gospel, the same Bible on the other side of the world in a Middle Eastern country as I do here in the United States. And you know what? It was just as applicable there as it is here. And I had to deal with the same cultural issues 
some of the cultures there and the way that they are with their families and things like that. It's so funny because, you know, they'll sit there and you'll preach the word and you'll preach a message that's spot on as far as what the Bible says, but yet then they go out and they'll still do the same things because the families and the way the structure is, they give no space for the word of God to speak. And I would always hold up my Bible like this. I'd always grab it. Actually, it was this Bible. I would say, this is our standard. Oops. This is where we land. We may be different culturally, we may have different norms in our families, but at the end of the day, this is what we have to come back to. And so understand that it's the same applied today. And so it is the word of God, revealed to the prophets by his spirit to be fully relied on. And that is, is, is it's, it's fading, church. Even in churches, it's fading. Go to some church, no, don't go to another church, but go online sometime after you've come here. But if you go into some churches, it's see how much they actually spend time in the scripture, right? I've been to services where it takes a half hour to even hear something read from the Bible, a scripture, and sometimes it's like two verses and then it's the rest of the time it's just like opinions and stories, so we want to stay in the word. We want to stay planted in the word of God. And so now what happens here is Peter, is, he points to, again, the very scriptures, right, what we've talked about that we can stand on to draw two vital lessons for the church. All right, these two lessons are this. Now, we're going to jump into verse 4 in a second, and I want you to know that verse 4 through verse 10 is actually, uh, in the original transcripts, it's one sentence. <laughs> All right? So you talk about a run-on sentence. This is a run-on and a run-on and a run-on, but it's because it's all one thought and it's all important. But the first lesson he's going to show us is that he wants to demonstrate that the fate of false teachers is certain. The fate of false teachers is certain. Meaning they may be stand up now, they may be thinking that they're getting away with something, but they're not. Because <laughs> it will catch up to them. It will catch up to them. So that is for certain. Number two, the lesson that he's going to teach is that Peter wants God's people to understand that God protects the righteous. Why are we wanting to be in Christ? We are the righteousness of Christ because that is the place where we are protected. Does it mean that we're not going to see any difficult things or something's going to happen? No, it doesn't mean that, but that we are in his righteousness, that we are protected. In verses 4 through 10, the two themes are intertwined, and, and we're going to look at them separately uh, for the rest of our time here. But I want to just give you a quick side note that what we cover today, that there's a relationship between 2 Peter chapter 2 and anybody heard of the book of Jude? Very small book. <laughs> In the very back, right, of your Bible, not the very, very back, there's Revelation, but Jude is back there. And if you read these, uh, this chapter 2 of Second Peter and Jude, there's a lot of parallels. We're not going to be able to cover all those today, and I don't want to get deep into that for the sake of time. But they both refer to angels that are, are being judged. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, they mention. Uh, Balaam, they mention similar descriptions of false teachers they deal with, and similar metaphors are used to describe their corruption and immorality. So I would encourage you this week to open the book of Jude and to see how there's the parallels with what we're going to cover today. But understand this, though, that they should both be read in their own, they have their own right to be read, you understand? So while there's similarities, they're not identical. And so you can, you can glean from both. So... Let's get into kind of the meat of where we're going today. In 2 Peter, again, continuing in chapter 2, beginning in verse 4 there, it says, for if God, all right? So there's that for right at the beginning. So what we had said already, what we've read already about the false prophet, prophets being amongst the people, all right, that there's false teachers and everything else and these heresies, that's what he's springboarding off of when he says this word for. So for if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to change of, of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, 
For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Wow. <laughs> You'd almost think we're in Revelation, wouldn't you? It's a, this is heavy stuff. This is very heavy stuff. Um, and so let's go in, and we're gonna talk first about judgment, all right? Again, this is not a, uh, something you're gonna find in the self-help section or you know, the feel-good section, because nobody wants to talk about judgment, do we? Nobody wants to talk about that there's a reality that's, that's coming. You know, it's, um, it's just, it, I don't know. We really, we really have to come back, church, and I feel like we have to understand judgment. You know, as, as believers in Christ, we know that ultimately we are going to be in eternity with Christ, whole and, and things are set in order, amen? But understand that there's judgment that's coming. There's gonna be judgment, and it's not gonna matter your relationship with that person. It could be a loved one. It could be somebody very close. But again, if they haven't come to this place of understanding and committing their lives to Christ, there's judgment, right? So again, let's go into this part and we will, we will finish you know, with some encouragement, I promise you that. But in verse four, it starts again, like I said, with that word for, and again, so it's springing us into this. And then it goes on and says, if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. In Revelation, speaking of Revelation 12, verses seven through nine, it said this. It gives us a little more of a bigger picture there. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. The dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Now again, this is presumed to have taken place before the Garden of Eden, before we see Satan come on the scene in Genesis. But this happened, right? Satan, is, he, was, he, was, you know, he was the worship leader, if you will, like in, in heaven. And yet when he sinned and when, the, when those that were around him sinned, these angels, these angelic beings, there was punishment, there was judgment. They were cast out of heaven, all right? And so there's two takeaways from that, that one, that they, have, they were sent to hell. They were sent out of heaven to hell, and that final judgment has yet to come. And so, you know, whatever havoc they wreak, <laughs> there is a judgment day that's coming for them, for us, for all, everyone, every living being. There will be judgment. And we have to do our part also, again, to realize that apart from serving as an example from, from which we must learn what happened as far as with the angels and God's judgment of them, that, that we don't go too much into, um, you know, like, so maybe you've heard of this, like studying angels, right? The study of angels and, and looking at things like that and pursuing that. Listen, church, it's a, it's a slippery slope again. There's not a lot in scripture about angels. I mean, as far as you see them, but as far as their story and, and you know, there's not a lot of like, you know, interacting as far as we're not supposed to like seek them out or something. But yet I come across believers who they're, I think they pursue angels more than they do Christ. Because they want to see something. They want to be like different. They want to be something special. But we have to put Christ as our number one. And, and much New Age teaching, again, it's, it's consumed with angels and has infiltrated its way back into the church. So think about this. You know, this pursuit of understanding and knowing angels and learning about angels. Does it sound bad? It doesn't, does it? It's angels, right? But didn't Satan and his demons, didn't they, weren't they angels? And you don't think there's, they're, they're in a place where they can deceive? <laughs> I don't know who you think you're talking to, <laughs> but you better be careful, right? 
Remember where we're starting from today is it's, it's the word of God speaks to us. And these, these beings can, can mislead. But final judgment is going to come. And I just want to give you, again, I, I'm just going to give you warning flags. If somebody's heavy on angels and talking about a lot of angel stuff, your, your flags should go up. You need to be careful. Right? Okay. Verse 5, and he, so he didn't spare the angels in verse 5. He didn't spare the ancient world. Right? And remember Noah and the flood? <laughs> a few people got wiped out, didn't they? And we read about it, we read about the flood in Genesis 6 and 7. But I mean, you think about that, you're, you're, you know, that, that the world had gotten to such a place that that was, that was the answer, that was the judgment was that extreme. That eight people were saved in the ark, right? They were brought in and the world was wiped out. That's, again, judgment. Is that, and, and again, sometimes we can think about it and say, well, that's pretty harsh. <laughs> but that's God's view on sin. And so we have to, you know, understand that. We, we have to understand the seriousness of it, and especially when it comes into our own lives. And I don't know about you, but there are, again, there are places in my life, there are sin sometimes, like little things that creep in. If I'm not careful, I can make excuses for it. Or it's not a big deal. But there's, there's, again, there's judgment for sin. And either you're gonna, you're gonna give, let Jesus pay for that with his blood <laughs> and the gift that he offered, or you're gonna take that on yourself. But judgment is still going to come. And in verse six, he also reminds us of Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> the flood and Sodom and Gomorrah should probably raise you know, your awareness pretty significantly about how God is, when judgment comes, it's, it is not gonna be good. Both of these examples bring probably the greatest, most terrifying experiences of God's judgment in the scripture. In one account, God wipes the earth clean by destroying mankind with the exception of eight people and flooding the earth. The other one, he uses fire to burn a city to the ground while only saving a handful of people from it. You see, there comes a point, church, where the depth of the wickedness of sin takes over people so entirely that they can't see, hear, or understand righteousness for what it is. We're living in that time. You understand that, right? There are things, if you say things, if you, you stand up for something, you know, that, that people will look at you like you've got three heads. If you dare say, no, that's, that's wrong. When was the last time you heard that, right? That's wrong. You shouldn't do that. That's not right. And this is the condition, you know, Mo, uh, um, Noah was proclaiming the truth. He was saying, please. <laughs> and we remember, you know, again, with Sodom and Gomorrah, the number kept dropping down, you know, give me this many, give me this many, down to 10, you know. He kept dropping the number and you couldn't find any righteous people there. Listen to Romans 1, 18 through 25. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Listen, there's no excuse not to be able to see who God is and, and, and what he's done, right? It's clear, that's what this is saying. It's there, it's in front of us. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Here comes verse 24. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator 
who is blessed forever, amen. Listen to me, we have exchanged, there's a great exchange happening and it's not the one that, that Christ did. There's this exchange for truth that people know. I, the church in America is in a very dangerous place right now. We as Americans are in a dangerous place, why? Because we are sitting here and many people with access to this word know the truth, many have been brought up in the church have heard the truth, yet they still choose to pursue ungodliness. They still choose to pursue pleasure over purity. And they think they're getting away with it. And they think that it's all good. Why? Because, you know, the earth hasn't opened up and swallowed them whole, right? That is one of the most staggering sections of scripture in the Bible. Why? Because it says, God gave them up in the lusts of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. So God says, you want to do that? Is that what you want to do? And that's what you love more than me? Well, here you go. You can have all of it and watch what what you get in return. Right? Look around us today. Going back to our passage here in, in, in Peter, verse 10, the beginning of it, verse 10a, it says, and especially those who indulge in the lust of def- defiling passion and despise authority. The way the NIV reads is this way, is the, it, this is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and despise authority, right? You know, lust of the flesh, you see that today? <laughs> you ain't gotta look far, do you? It's whatever goes. We've become our own gods. Do what you want to do. Be who you want to be. Make, you know, it, you, we're spitting in the face of our creator and expecting nothing to come back on us in return. Right? You want to talk about de- defying authority? Despising authority? <laughs> right? Come on now. Don't, I know we're not, you know... <laughs> Holy rollers here necessarily, but don't get too quiet on me. I mean, look around us. This whole, again, with all the, you know, here we go. My inbox is open, email's open. But the the police, the defunding police and everything else, right? Whatever political party you're a part of and the other political party and all that stuff, all it is, it's we want what we want. Your job is to, to give me what I want, and if it isn't, then I'm going to throw a fit. I'm going to pull everything, all the funding I can away from you, and I'm going to just to move everything out of the way. Why? Let me bring it all back. Because we're sinful by nature. <laughs> and we want it our way. And we don't want to be under authority, do we? And what makes us think that if we can't sit under a simple authority, and again, let me just... Sorry, I need to say all this, these disclaimers. But, you know, I'm not saying that there's these things, because it's, these things aren't perfect, right? Are there good cops? Yes. Are there bad cops? Yes. Are there good politicians? Yes. Maybe. Uh, are, there, are there bad? <laughs> I'm getting myself in all kinds of trouble today. But the, the thing is this. Church, listen, these are all man-made systems. It's going to be imperfect, Throughout scripture, we see God, though, use authority in different ways that we have to submit ourselves to, right? Why? Because if we can't submit to even parents, right? Children, nowadays, the the ages that are getting younger and younger in the school systems where it's like, yeah, you don't need to tell your parents that. We can do this. We can do this for you. You can go ahead and whatever, become a bird, whatever, and we don't need to tell your parents, Listen, <laughs> I know I have to laugh. I hope that's, you know, because we have to laugh a little bit because otherwise we probably would go crazy. But it's, it's, it's happening. It's not happening, it's happened. And so we need to understand, though, again, that we're not getting off scot-free. People are not getting off scot-free, okay? It's a dark picture, isn't it, of where we are? 
Now let me give us, let me give us some hope, all right? <laughs> are you glad you came today? I wonder how our numbers are online. Hopefully they're probably like... So we started with the judgment, but the other lesson that we can pull from today, and this is the encouragement, is the rescue. The rescue. In verse five of this passage here in 2 Peter, notice it says, but, it, but he preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. You think about the entire population of the world, and, and here, because Noah was found righteous, Noah was found righteous, and so he was saved. He was saved from the flood, right? And again, to understand that we are not righteous in ourselves, but God has made a way for us to be found righteous through Jesus Christ, and that's the beauty, is that we will be saved, right? We'll be saved. In verses seven and eight, and it says, if, if he rescued righteous Lot, but notice this, that Lot was greatly distressed by sens the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. You see, this paints the picture, and, and, and you know, there, again, as Christians, we have to be careful to not just say, this is where we can't just be like, yeah, okay, whatever, you know, go ahead. You notice how Lot, or Lot here, it says he was greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. Are you distressed over what you see happening today? It should be a burden on all of us that we're praying and saying, Lord, help us. Because we, we need to be in that place. We need to be against, you know, seeing truth for what it is, seeing what is right and what is wrong. And when we see wrong, when we see sin, it should still affect us in a way like, oh, this is bad, this is wrong. Not in some way that leaves us hopeless, but in a way that grieves us, you understand? We need to, we need to grieve over sin. But praise God for verse nine, it says, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. Throughout trials and temptations, the righteous will be preserved and rescued as were Noah and Lot. Does it say that we're gonna not be in trials? Does it say we're not gonna, you know, some, somebody's, not gonna, somebody's not gonna like us? Does it say, you know, there's not gonna be difficult seasons here on earth? There are. Let me tell you, let me tell you something, because I've dealt with this recently about false prophets. <laughs> they, they always, usually, it's, it's gonna be something where basically, you know, we're just gonna get off scot-free. Like, us as a church, you know, as, and believers, yes, in one sense, in eternity, yeah. Does it mean that we won't experience difficult times here on earth? And that's what a lot of them will say. They wanna give us like this, oh, because otherwise nobody will listen to them, right? Hopefully you're still listening to me but that's because I'm preaching from scripture. But a lot of times these false prophecies, it's like, but if you do this, or if you send me $1,000, I will send you a hanky that you can, you know, will keep you out of all trouble. God will preserve us, church, but it's, it's not gonna always be easy or pretty, all right? The unrighteous will experience judgment while themselves being preserved by God for final judgment. So notice there's two preservations happening. God will preserve the righteous and we will be rescued, but he's also preserving, it says that he's preserving the unrighteous for final judgment, meaning that you're not gonna get away with it. <laughs> judgment is going to come. One of my sons, who will remain nameless at this point, I think he's ducking back there. Uh, there was, when they were younger, uh, they took my iPad. He took my iPad. And he, he I think he was, so, I'm trying to think of the ages. I don't want to call him out and ask him, but I think he was older, like 10-ish maybe. And um, he, my iPad, I think he dropped it or something and it, it shattered, like new iPad, the whole screen shattered. 
And so he, he put it under Josh's bed, mattress or something, or in his bed, and, and Josh was pretty young, and Josh took the heat for my iPad breaking. I didn't know. I didn't know. I won't tell you who it was exactly, but we spoke about somebody else here today, Noah, in the Bible, and... Um, and uh, But listen, prayers work. He came clean, right? Don't, no, don't, don't think he have. It was two years later. We were in a very blissful situation, very happy place, and we're smoking and joking, you know. And it's like, you know, Dad, you remember that iPad? <laughs> you know, two years ago <laughs> when you, you know, got into Joshua? <laughs> yeah, I, I broke it. <laughs> I was like, okay, what do I do with this? I wish I'd have known about delayed judgment at that point, you know, because I should have dealt it at that point, but um, I hadn't read this part. No, I'm just kidding. But let me tell you this, that God does not forget, and you're not going to outrun, you know, judgment, and neither is the world and those that think they can. As we prepare to close today, I, I just want to wrap up our time, and I know, again, probably, you know, hopefully most of you come back next week. Um, but you know what? The, the beauty of going through books of the Bible is that you have to go through this, these, these messages because we need these messages, right? We're, we're, we're walking out our time here on earth, and we need to be aware of what's happening around us. And as we see things that are going on, we see the condition of our world, and it can be super discouraging, but we have to stay engaged. And I, I, my hope today is from this message that you see things clearly, that you recognize that there are false teachers. And, and you, know, you know, again, I know most of us here listen to other you know, messages, listen to other sermons, listen to other teachings, and that's fine, that's great, but just make sure you understand who you're receiving from. Because again, it just comes in so slight but it'll, it'll, it'll really mess you up and you can get off in, in, in many ways if you're not careful. But you know, to, to kind of bring it all together, we as believers, we have to apply ourselves to learning the true knowledge of God and live out, again, the faith, or the light, our lives full of faith and understanding. We have to be in the word of God. My, I hope you're, you're doing something. I, again, I get it, I've got four kids, you know, sometimes I get up and my mornings don't go exactly as I had planned <laughs> or my day or my evening. Um, but you've got to find time to connect with God. You've got to find time to connect with his word and keep, keep doing that because that way when things, you know, are wrong or something sounds off, it's, it's gonna, you're going to come back to that place like, oh, no, that, that doesn't line up with what I read. Just like that that illustration I gave to you earlier about the New World Translation or whatever. It's one letter, it's just a letter, a word, but it changes everything. So you need to be careful, not for us to be afraid. <laughs> we don't need, we don't, there's no fear, right? Because we know the outcome, we know the ending, right? We've gone ahead to the back and we've read, we know how it's gonna work out. But understand that as we walk this out, you need to go deeper into the Word of God and find, find your uh, strength there, find your, where you put your footing, you know, what to stand on, and it will never fail you. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for, God, this opportunity, Lord, to share your Word. Lord, I never want us to take for granted the fact that we can gather together that we can um, be here in this place to hear your word, to encourage one another. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning that, God, that you would just speak to each of our hearts today. God, and if there's places that we need to, to grow in, if there are places, Lord, that we need to repent. God, I pray, that, pray, Lord, that you would just make that clear to us today, that you would meet us, Lord, in that place today. 
God, I can't imagine, Lord, just uh, the many things, Lord, that the early church faced. <laughs> but God, look, look at where we are today. We're sitting here in this structure, in this room today, as a result of all that was faced and their perseverance and the fact that they stayed the course and that your word went forward. God, and lives were changed and people began to come into relationship with you. God, I pray for anybody here in this place today that maybe doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that doesn't know you maybe as the one that has, has given them hope, a hope to be rescued, Lord, from final judgment. God, I pray that they would recognize that and that they would call out to you, Lord. God, that they would invite, invite you into their lives, that they would recognize you as Lord, that, that you are the one, you are their Savior, the one who came to earth, died on a cross, rose on the third day, and is now seated, Lord, at the right hand of the Father in heaven. God, we thank you that, that you would speak to their hearts and, again, that you would continue to bring those, Lord, who want to be rescued, Lord, into relationship with you. God, I just pray, Father, that you would continue to give your church boldness, give your church, again, just the fortitude to be able to stand against what's happening, Lord, in the world around us. To stand up, not in, in, a, in a judgmental way. It is not our, our job to cast final judgment. Only you know the hearts of people, but God, to, to be heralds of truth. God, I pray that we would live our lives in such a way that people recognize, Lord, that hope. God, for we should be the ones with, filled with the most joy and hope of anyone. So God, I thank you. I thank you that you are still on the throne. God, that you are still Lord of all. And God, that you are still working and moving, Lord, through your church and through your people, Father. We thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand?